The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. I'm proud to call it home. This is my country. And I'll never stand alone. It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And good morning and welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. And a happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Whether you're starting the corned beef dinner for tonight or you're recovering from a combination of green beer and Irish coffee last night. Um, I skipped the Irish coffee last night, but I'm cooking the corned beef today. Um, Although I was, it's going to be corned beef two days in a row. Um, But for me, it's going to be, you know, while I'm, while I'm cooking, I'll be watching those Sunday news shows that we all know about. Listening to a lot of people in politics and the media whose purpose is to inflame your passions rather than to reason with you. I want to do something different. I want to inform you, to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on that judgment. I am a businesswoman, I'm not a politician, and I start with the numbers. And then the numbers this week, $25 million got 761 overindulged and underprepared children of the rich and famous into some of the most elite colleges in the country, when many of them didn't deserve to be there. We're going to have a guest this morning, Pam Donnelly of the Gate College System and Valley Prep Tutoring, who's going to tell us a little bit about how it could happen, what should happen as a result of what's been found, and when and why and how your child can compete successfully in the college admissions game, even when you can't pay $150 an hour for tutors and test preparation coaches or $1.2 million bribes to get your child into Yale. This week, we lost 167 souls on one, in one airline crash of an Ethiopian airline, and it looks like that crash was the result of an automated equipment on an expanded capacity Boeing 737 MAX 8. This is the second crash of that plane in six months. So let's... De- de- dive down in a little bit and talk about what they think happened and what should have happened instead of what did happen. 
what could have prevented this crash. 50 Muslims at peaceful prayer in the beautiful and small city of Christchurch, New Zealand. The entire population of New Zealand is less than the city of San Jose. So it it's a, a, a bigger loss, but it's an incredible, incredible waste of human life. And it is a frightening warning about uh, the global threat of white supremacy. Um, and the questions, the honest questions we need to ask ourselves about military-style weapons and their availability to civilians. And last but not least, 30 million Americans, 30 million Americans, I want to repeat that, snort, sniff, or inject all the illicit drugs they can get their hands on. Most of those drugs coming across our southern border. And when you're talking about that kind of demand, no border wall is going to stop them. We need different solutions. But before we talk about all of those issues, let's spend some time with Pam Donnelly learning about how uh, a cheating crisis of the proportion we saw last week can happen and what we can do about it. Pam is the founder and CEO of Gate College System. She's the, a number one best-selling author. She has taught for 20 years, but after teaching, she became one of the most in-demand private SAT and ACT tutors in Los Angeles and began developing the curriculum that would grow to become the Gate College System. And you're going to be interested in hearing about that. In 2012, she opened her first business, Valley Prep Tutoring Services. Her first book, SWAT Team Tactics for Getting Your Teen into College, went number one on the Amazon bestseller education list. Following the release of her second book, Four Keys to College Admission Success, Donnelly has become a nationally recognized expert a media expert with both tips for parents and teens and political analysis of the shifting landscape of what it takes to access America's colleges. She's been featured and interviewed by many of the most prestigious publications in America, including Time Magazine, The New York Times, NBC, ABC, CNN, and more. And we're going to take um, we're, we're privileged to have uh, Pam with us this morning, but we're going to take a quick commercial break before we have that interview. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. Pamela, thank you so much for taking the time this morning to speak with me and with our audience about the college entrance cheating scandal. I mean, 761 kids, $25 million. Wow, that's a lot of money and a lot of lost opportunity for the 99%. Stephen Brill, in his book, Tailspin, about the decline of the American middle class, refers to this new meritocracy as having failed because in the 1960s, we went to a system that said, you know, the old boy network of if you're wealthy and successful, your children get into the best colleges. We were going to make this competitive so that everyone had the opportunity. And yet what we see 
is that money still talks and money still creates opportunity, opportunity that may be worth as much as 10 or $15 million over a lifetime. So the wealthier get wealthy. How does this get so out of whack? It's such an important question. Uh, thank you for having me on the show, Joyce. I think that we have to begin by sort of couching a few facts. First of all, legacies have not gone away. Legacies getting into college is something that has been happening throughout time and continues today. So uh, although I think we all love this idea of the American dream and things being free and equal and so forth, that is not actually the world in which we live. Um, and this scandal, although very upsetting to many of us, especially in my field as a college access specialist, who's very focused in particular on making sure that we have uh, advantages for those students who don't come out of families with high socioeconomic status, uh, you know, we really have to think of this as a gift because at least we've got a public conversation going on now, right? I think you're absolutely right. One of the questions that nobody's asked that I've thought about is there are 761 case studies here. Did any of them succeed? Does it tell us something about, you know, the fact that they got into college and that they didn't flunk out may tell us something about what's wrong with the entire process of admissions? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I've been asked by other interviewers, I'm doing a lot of media these days, you know, whether those diplomas should even be legitimized. And my my take on that is absolutely not. If you cheated to get in and you got a diploma, that should be revoked by the university. And we should make reparations to those students who were bumped by an unfair system. There are many, many layers to this. And, you know, part of it is the sense of entitlement, because there is no way in the cases that have been on television, that these kids did not know what their parents were doing. There's plenty of blame to go around. We can talk about the parents and the frenzy and the mania that goes along uh, with today's college admissions world and the fact that the system is so desperately out of whack that parents are willing to forfeit their own ethics in order to give their kids what they hope will be a competitive advantage. There are many people uh, like myself who, you know, people in this field for, I've been doing this for over 22 years, who run ethical consulting companies who do this the right way. We provide high-level you know, tutors and support uh, to make sure that students have one-on-one help in the home. Listen, having an SAT or ACT tutor, um, right now it's, it's for sale, and it's for sale at about 150 an hour. So if you can afford that, great. Your kid gets an improved score without cheating um, by working with a company like Valley Prep, which is my first business. Uh, But what I'm excited about is the change, the disruption that's happening right now across the country in public high schools as um, ed tech solutions. So educational technologies um, are able to give that kind of support in the public school system uh, so that even students with disadvantages have access to information that used to be for sale. Um, It's terrible what what, uh, this entire scandal has revealed, but the good news is there are solutions. Uh, that are uh, now coming out in the market. And, uh, you know, perhaps we'll talk about some of that on this interview. And we should talk about your particular role in helping kids who all come from disadvantaged backgrounds to get into that. But let's, you know, finish up on the scandal. I mean, is this going to be a turning point, you think? Or is this just going to be a few examples of perp walks um, and business as usual. Should we have special admissions programs for kids who play sports versus kids who, you know, run recreationally? 
is being a member of crew um is that really important to the educational opportunity for the majority of american kids Having worked with so many Division One, Two, II, and Three students in all sports over the course of my career, I can tell you the university opportunities that come uh, based on that organization's uh, priorities of who they want in their student body um, can be served in a way that is to the highest good of all involved. I'm not saying that I think that there shouldn't be these slots and these opportunities. I think every university, especially if it's a private university, they're within their rights to have a profile of who they want in their student body, uh, how they want to prioritize, how they want to wait. Um, I've certainly helped many, many athletes over the years. Um, Students come to my mind from football teams, basketball teams, who might have had a 2.7 GPA when we started working with them. We get them to a 3.5 because they need that to play at that division level in certain schools, right? So every every university is entitled to... Uh, their own thesis, if you will, of who they want in their student body. Uh, The problem is when you've got people who are crooked coming in to manipulate that system. So let's talk. You know at least one of the individuals who has been named publicly. What is it that gives people such a sense of entitlement that it's okay for them to spend money to cheat the system, knowing they are cheating the system? You know, that's a question above my pay grade. (laughs) There are so many people um, here in Los Angeles, I will tell you, uh, at least 50% of the client base working uh, with Valley Prep Tutoring are very high level, many celebrity families, uh, you know, doctors, lawyers, uh, directors, producers, and their kids um, do, there is privilege. Listen, privilege is a thing in this country. We need to understand that uh, the gap between the haves and the have-nots has widened over the years. There is a lot of evidence that points to that. I'm I'm presently working on a PhD uh, in global leadership, and a lot of my dissertation, um, the research that I'm doing, bears that out. Um, Clearly, uh, there is an increasing gap, which is why we need to fix this systemically and and especially in the public school system. Um, But I would say that you're asking why. I mean, you need a psychologist to ask that question. I just don't even know how to answer it. (laughs) I think you're probably right. But more importantly, you know, we don't want to scare parents away, you know, middle class families away from consulting a college counselor or hiring a college coach. You're an expert at this. You're one of the early adopters of helping kids in an organized way to get ready for college. When should a parent go to a college counselor? We don't want people to be scared now that this has happened, that there's something wrong about getting some uh, professional help um, with understanding how to what path your child should be on and how to achieve their goals. So, you know, when do you go to a counselor? When, when is it right to do that? And, and why would you do that? Sure. So IECs are independent educational consultants. And those of us in the field who have uh, the credentials, uh, the experience to be able to bring value to a family very often are able to offset the investment of time and money that a parent would spend um, by helping that student target merit-based financial aid and to, you know, solve for some of the areas that a student needs to get into a competitive college. Uh, these actually comprise the acronym that, I, that I'll be talking about, which is GATE, G-A-T-E, Grades, Application, Testing, Essays. So if you have a counselor that can come in and help you solve 
for those four pieces of the step-by-step roadmap uh, that, that every student needs, um, that needs to actually begin by the ninth grade. People are sometimes surprised um, that I say this, but by 11th grade, when most public schools begin to mention SATs and ACTs, the horse has left the barn. You don't wait that long. You must start in ninth grade because college admissions officers are looking at GPA all the way down to ninth grade, and in some cases as early as seventh and eighth grade if they started Algebra one or foreign language then. So very important to start earlier than you think. So help people to understand what's the difference between going to a one-time coach who says, oh, here are the kinds of things you should do, and going to a real coach. And, and when, you know, as you're saying, in the ninth grade, you don't need possibly the specific coaching, or do you? And then how do we make this, if you can't afford $150 an hour, how do systems like the GATE system help a middle-class family make sure that their kid who can compete um, academically at the best schools? My parents could never have afforded that because some people are surprised to hear that I am a first-generation student myself. And in fact, that's why I founded GATE College System. Um, You guys can take a look at GateCollegeSystem.com. I'm on a mission to increase equitable access for students regardless of socioeconomic status. And so we've developed this uh, software that is going out into these public schools. If students encounter this content, these video-driven, interactive, gamified, badging, fun experiences at a young enough age, by the time they're in eighth, moving into ninth grade, I mean, it's a game changer, right, because you motivate not only the fact that it's possible if your parents didn't go to college, a lot of kids just opt out in their own minds because they don't think that's for them. And we want them to know that, yeah, it is for you, but you've got to be willing to do the work. And what GATE does is it distills a step-by-step process starting in the ninth grade. So G-A-T-E, G is ninth, A is tenth, T is eleventh, E is twelfth. Grade, then applications, then test prep, then essays. Once a student goes through that in a public school, um, you don't need 150 an hour. We're really here to disrupt the entire idea that higher education access should be for sale. I think that's the most admirable thing that you could do in America today is to make education equal for all kids. But there is another component to that, which is, uh, well, there are two other components to that, one of which is, It's not the end of the world. If your child wants to go to Harvard and Stanford, in fact, I I saw a thing just this morning where a kid got into Harvard and was rejected by Penn State. It's not the end of the world. Would you agree? Of course it's not the end of the world. And this is where we just have to all take a collective deep breath and remind ourselves that we are the adults in the room and we need to remember that The point of a college education is not to reflect uh, bragging rights to the parents. The point of a college education is to help a student take the gift that is innately inside of them to hone and identify that gift so they can shift it out into the world and and be a blessing to their their community, uh, that they can uh, secure their own financial future. This is what college is about. Uh, Education, uh, a great uh, Plutarch quote from back in the old days, right? He said, Education should be the filling of a, of, excuse me, it should be the lighting of a fire, not the filling of a pail. So I almost got the quote wrong. Um, so we, we have to light a fire of hope and inspiration and motivation 
by giving students information in the ninth grade when it can make all the difference in the world. If, if you're just trying to didactically fill a bucket with information and throw it at a kid, especially a first generation or lower economic status kid, uh, that is not going to stick because let's face it, they're coming culturally from a place where they can't even see uh, a roadmap ahead unless we provide it for them. And I would dare say um, that is the most important thing that we can be doing um, in terms of higher ed access today. Pam, hold that thought for just a moment because we've got to take a quick commercial break and pay the bills. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Back in a moment with more Reimagine America on 860 AM. The answer. Now, back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM. The answer. We're back with Pam Donnelly to talk about how to get your child into college without cheating. Saying you need to go to college doesn't mean you need to go to a four-year Ivy League school. It may mean that you need to go to a really good trade school. And if you're really, really in in and get really good at a trade, because we're short of tradesmen, we have too many lawyers, how do we help the schools to reach that equilibrium that not every kid needs to go get a degree in law? Uh, we need more women in STEAM, but we we need more people with good engineering and scientific skills, but we also need people who can fix a car, build a house, etc. How do we make being a tradesperson a legitimate, positive opportunity for kids who may not be great students? It's so important to say that I certainly don't believe in college access for all, and I dare say I don't say, mm, I, I can't think of a single district that I have worked with over the years that would say, we want every student in our district to go to college. But an interesting statistic for you, 93% of freshmen going into uh, high school um, believe that they want to go to college when they get out. Um, and the fact that only 68% of them do that, and then uh, 40% of those don't persist through four years, 15% of the students who went in as freshmen drop out before they even get out of high school. Like, when you look at stats like that, you start to understand that, you know, there are many, many danger points all along the way where students fall off uh, the wayside. Yes, vocational schools are very important. Um, there are industries right now where there aren't enough people who can do plumbing and electrician to keep up with the housing boom down in Atlanta, where my brother happens to be a contractor, so I happen to know about that. Um, I can tell you that... Um, College, hmm, you mentioned community colleges, so I'll mention an uh, interesting uh, initiative happening in Dallas right now. Uh, they call it the Dallas Promise Initiative in that public school district. Uh, they're really pushing for two-year college. They are um, very proud that they've got some corporate sponsors, and they're making sure that students coming out of Dallas ISD are going directly into community colleges. And when I spoke with the superintendent about that uh, about a month ago, um, we, we had a little bit of a different perspective in that I know that uh, many students who go into a two-year program don't complete that program. So the fact that the district hands off to a community college does not mean that when you look at the longitudinal data that you actually move the needle on solving for systemic poverty in a student's life. And furthermore, a four-year degree for those who are able to aspire at that level, which statistically should be somewhere around 73%, depending on who you're reading, um, you know, that 
that process, you have to make sure that they can afford it across all four years. So when uh, when a, a platform like Gate comes into a public school district and says, hey, we right here in this platform, your students are going to discover in ninth and 10th grade exactly in a customized way how much scholarship money is available for them. They're going to improve their GPAs, their test scores, their essays, so that they're going to get merit-based aid. That is the intention of the, of the entire solution. Um, that is what can solve for not just getting into college, but also, hey, we want them to actually graduate and go on to wonderful, successful lives. This is a great lesson that we want our children to succeed and we want them to succeed on merit. And we want them to succeed at something that will make them passionate, not us passionate. How did the system, the system itself, get so out of whack in the situation that made headlines this week? And what's the lesson that we should all take away from that? Yeah, let's talk about it. So um, the timeline of the mania. So let's think about uh, the role of the Internet and how that has impacted college admissions. Uh, The Common App actually was created back in 1975, but about 15 years ago, uh, we got to a place where there was such an enormous spike and an increase because students, instead of having to hand-fill out individual applications, could go online and simultaneously apply to 6, 8, 10, 12 schools. And so what happened is we had a 100% increase in the number of students applying to colleges through that application, while we had about a 15% decrease in the types of schools that a student could expect to get into on the basis of the same test scores and GPAs that might have gotten them in even 10 years earlier. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the tipping point, right? You've got sort of this lar- a larger college-for-all message, which I agree with you is not the message we want to send. But if you're going to have all these applicants, um, it, it basically drives um, acceptance rates down and feeds sort of the frenzy around U.S. News & World Report rankings. Um, colleges live and die by those numbers. They, their revenue is tied to even one point up or down on that list. So believe me when I tell you there are big business models out there supporting them trying to solve for how they stay alive. Colleges are closing left and right, Joyce. Uh, you're probably aware. Yes. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the smaller liberal arts schools have gone out of business, and some of the very big ones, the, the for-profits, have come under indictment. They're closing. So um, the third rail is, listen, this entire industry is changing, and I am grateful that this scandal, even though it's very upsetting, uh, I'm grateful that it is, uh, I think, the starting gun for a better day for access in America. I, I agree with you, because when we, we finally do, uh, you know, the fish boning and, and get to the bottom of how this happened, we're going to see what, what the problems within the system are, and that's the first step in fixing them, you know, as, as I come from a fixing broken businesses perspective. Um, that's exactly what this investigation is going to tell us. So, Pam Donnelly, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us this morning and for parents who want to know more about this or want to know how to get their superintendent to get involved with this uh, online opportunity to help all the kids in a school district get better prepared for college and life. It is gatecollegesystem.com. And we're going to put that link in the podcast version of 
today's Reimagine America Radio Hour. Thank you for having me on the show, Joyce. You're listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagine America will continue in just a moment on 860 AM, The Answer. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. Well, that was a lot of information in um, a pretty short period of time, but I think it gives you a sense of uh, just how competitive it is to get into the best colleges, the fact that, you know, a good college, there actually are some other statistics out out more recently than the Brill Book um, that say over a lifetime career, whether you went to um, Harvard, Yale, or... um, um, Cal State Hayward doesn't really matter as much as how you apply that degree and your level of effort over a lifetime. But um, nonetheless, um, you know, we all want the very best for our children. So one of the things that Pam and I did not talk about, um, you know, uh, is how the heck did this racket ever come to the attention of the FBI and the Department of Justice? And it's kind of a chuckle story. It's something you didn't see much about on the news. You saw a lot of big headlines, but not how the heck did the FBI stumble across this uh, long-running scandal? And they literally did stumble across it. It's the old-fashioned way. Someone ratted out a potential co-conspirator in order to get themselves off the hot seat in another matter. Yes. A a man by the name of Maury Tobin, uh, he's an L.A. financial executive, got himself caught up in a securities fraud case very similar to what sent Martha Stewart to jail. Um, And as he was being questioned about his alleged pump-and-dump investment scheme, well, he said, look, um, in order to get leniency, I can give you guys a tip on another bigger issue. And he did. Uh, Apparently, he went to Yale, uh, played hockey at Yale, has uh, three daughters, one of whom has graduated from Yale, two more are students there now. And he was approached... Um, and offered a slot for another daughter for a mere $450,000, excuse me, i got to get the number right, um, bribe to the women's soccer coach. And so um, Mr. Tobin, in order to help himself, tipped off the FBI, went to Boston, met in a hotel room with this soccer coach, and... um, and wore a wire to that meeting for the FBI. And of course, they then, the FBI confronted the soccer coach and the soccer coach spilled the beans on the whole larger scheme, led them to uh, Bill Singer and the rest, as we, as we say, is history. And the uh, upshot for Mr. Tobin is 36 months of, of supervised release and pay back the money that he uh, made on this uh, pump and dump uh, stock transaction. 
uh, and if he uh, doesn't offer any more bribes to college coaches and or doesn't and doesn't manipulate any more stock um, over the next 36 months, he walks away unscathed. I have a feeling that Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin may not be so lucky. In fact, Miss Laughlin's daughter, Olivia, was spending her spring break on the private yacht of the president of USC when news of the scandal broke. Talk about privilege over privilege. And the explanation that USC gave was that young Olivia comes from a certain socioeconomic status, which is attractive, is, which is attractive to um, our friends um, at USC. So um, I suspect, I suspect that federal prosecutors will feel it necessary to make an example of first Olivia, Sephora's already dropped her, and then her mom and Felicity, mm, I don't expect they're going to get quite the same deal that, that Mr. Tobin got. I, I suspect they'll be consulting with Martha about how to use their time in jail effectively. And we've got Antonio on the line. Good morning, Antonio. Good morning. Yes, uh, a lot of noise about this uh, uh, bribing and scandal in uh, uh about the rich people, and I, I think uh, it's reprehensible that that's, that's happening. But there's a bigger scandal. The bigger scandal in California is that uh, the illegal students are paying resident tuition, how the U.S. citizen coming from another state had to uh, pay out-of-state tuition, which is a lot higher. And uh, there, there's no scandal about that. There, there's also the question of uh, we passed a repeal of affirmative action many years ago, but the legislature in, California, in Sacramento actually passed many, many laws that uh, actually bypassed and that that uh, proposition that that we uh, voted for, and uh, many people who actually, uh, because of their race, get into the university, while people who are white cannot get in the university, and, and, and those are a lot bigger scandals. And not to mention the fact that uh, there are people who are playing uh, uh, football or basketball uh, that, that actually don't have a, a coming from university don't have a location a grade level you know um well actually in the last one the NCAA cracked down quite a few years ago um, on uh, football players who were ac on academic probation and Berkeley got uh, for example um, because it's highly touted academically got its hand slapped really hard for some of the um, uh, ways in which football players were playing who were not academically eligible. Um, I don't really personally have a problem with what, just, what is called the two-point the, the two rule, which is 2% of the class uh, that's admitted to a public university like the University of California may not meet every academic credential but ha but are you know aspiring low income etc 
Um, and if they can make it in in college, if they can, you know, if they can overcome the obstacles that, of not going to as good a high school, et cetera, then, you know, I think that's good for society. And if athletics is the way in which they get out of poverty and for so many uh, um, college athletes in the big sports like football and basketball, et cetera, this is a way out of um, out of poverty. Um, for many of them. And so if we give them some academic assistance while they're helping to bring millions and millions of dollars into the university that makes its overall program stronger, I don't have a problem with that. I agree with you that that I'm troubled about, um, you know, the, the in-state, out-of-state tuition. But if we finally resolve the issue of DACA, we would find a way to make that um, more equitable. The fact of the matter is that in California, we are a majority-minority state. And if we're going to be successful, if we're going to be successful, that means we must be, in fact, a melting pot. We can't have all this hyphenization that people want to cling to, that we've, that, that we will see the, a, a change in our universities population. Um, this year, the university did have to put more emphasis on Caucasian students, the problem being um, so many Asian students. And if we had all day to talk about the failures of um, California's K-12 through system, we could resolve that problem too. But but we're going to have to stop. I, I, <clears throat> I support, you know, um, uh, the kind of affirmative action programs that help disadvantaged children. I don't care if they're black, white, or purple. If they come from a disadvantaged socioeconomic background and we want them to be successful, we're going to have to help them. But I don't know that many of them, that we're doing the best for many of them, there are always exceptions to the rule, to to put them in schools like UCLA or USC or UC Irvine, that um, you know the the California secondary education system was built from the ta- time of Pat Brown on a presumption of two years of community college as a feeder to help kids really get prepared um, as a feeder into the four year college system. Um, and and the University of California only accepts the upper 12% of all high school graduates in the state. There is no, that's a kind of, of needs blind, um, race blind, et cetera, um, admission standard. It says the upper 12% of the class with certain SAT scores. Now, that's a lower standard than was in place when I went to Berkeley. Then it was the upper 6%. Um, and frankly, my parents would have killed me if I didn't have a 1600 AT, uh, SAT score. They would have just flat out, you know, disowned me. Um, but that emphasis, that emphasis that that um, some families put on academic success isn't isn't um, society wide. And so the way we admit kids to college has to be dependent on, you know, their ability to succeed regardless of the other circumstances. It, it's, 
it's what George Bush referred to as the bigotry of low expectations. We can't have low expectations of any child who graduates from a California high school. Does that make sense? Well, uh, there you go. You sound like a Democrat. No, I'm sounding like a realist. 25% of the total undocumented aliens in the United States today are in California. You, yeah, well, uh, you cannot have you cannot have um, you, you know if, if we're if we're not going to if we're in a situation where we're not going to deport them. I'm just a realist. I mean, well, I, I want them deported. Well, but then you're not in the the mainstream of Republican thought is that we want to prevent another amnesty, but that we have somewhere between 10 and 12 Ill- million illegals in the country right now who have been here for 5, 10, 20 years, who, um, who we need. I, I, I we, voted for Trump, and I with Trump, and Trump is, is uh, uh, constantly backed by, by the Republicans, uh, many Republicans in Congress, yes. I, that, I agree with you on that. Um, because those people are realists. Those people know that that many of these illegals have children who were born in the United States who vote. They're, we're not going to deport their older brothers and sisters. We need to find a way to bring those people out of the shadows and to create an immigration system that stops this finally, where people don't get away, don't have a way to get into the shadows of American society, where one, they're exploited, and two, we we have a an unequal, we have a society that can't sustain them. Okay, so compassion is a wonderful thing, but compassion compassion involve it involves you know, solving this problem eventually and not making it an every two-year election issue. But in the meantime, if those kids are here and they grew up here and they can get into a California college, it's in the best interest of all of us to give them the best education we can. And 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 Vince is in my ear saying, we got to go. We got to go pay the bills. Antonio, talk to you soon. Thanks. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back, and we've got about five minutes um, and about three things we really should talk about. Um, So we may wait and talk about Boeing in some detail next week when we know more, but we should all take a moment to remember that 167 souls on board an Ethiopian airline crashed last Sunday and what may turn out to have been a preventable accident. But more importantly, President Trump issued his first veto this week, and it was against not a law, but a resolution. Mind you that that resolution didn't change the law, um, finding that his use of emergency emergency powers uh, to defy Congress's power over the purse, in other words, appropriations, was unconstitutional and inappropriate. All that's going to happen is it's going to be another week in Congress. They're going to try to override the veto, and then there'll be a long court challenge. And, you know, there were several defections. Um, Ben Sass, Tom Tillis, Cory Gardner voted with the president after coming out uh, in front of the cameras and, and passionately decrying his use of emergency powers. 
And that's their fear of the right in primary elections next year. But all three of them said, we need to pass a law that limits the emergency powers of the president. And that's within Congress's power. And, you know, here, I double dare you, Congress, pass a law that modernizes and updates the Emergency Powers Act um, that gives the president a uh, ability to to move in an emergency um, without uh, without congressional approval. What the change in the law they want to make is that the president can act in an emergency and move money around, et cetera. But but Congress has thirty days to disapprove that emergency. And that would restore the balance of power. You don't want the next president of the United States to come in and declare a climate emergency and regulate the entire economy using this 1976 law. So you want to urge your Congress member to support a congressional review of the president's emergency powers. And last but not least, I was shocked this week to read in the uh, Washington Post that there are 30 million Americans addicted to illicit drugs. Do you understand that's almost 10% of the American population? The industry is worth $150 billion, that's B with a billion with a B, dollars, to the Mexican cartels and the South American cartels every year. They make about, we would estimate, about a $40 billion, $40 billion with a B, dollar profit that they launder through major American banks. It is said that they that these cartels make so much money, they don't count it. They just weigh it. There is no barrier that you and I can think of that will stop that trade. We've got to stop it on this side of the border. It is the demand that drives the supply. And on that note, um, we've got some interesting speakers coming up in the next few weeks, but, you know, we're going to surprise you one at a time. If you've got a comment or a topic or something you'd like me to go and explore and cover, send me an email at joyce at reimagineamerica.org. Or give me, send me a tweet at either Reimagine uh, Radio Hour or Reimagine Radio is what it is, or Joyce Cordy, all lowercase, all one word. Reimagine America is independent and non and nonprofit. If you if you enjoy our independent voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org, and we'll talk to you again next Sunday. Thank you. This is Bob Zadick of The Bob Zadick Show with a libertarian... This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.